0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We've been focusing uh, on the prison letters of Paul. We've been working through Paul's prison letters. They're called the prison letters because he wrote them while he was imprisoned in Rome. And uh, these Letters he wrote to churches, to young churches and young believers and to friends to help them to know and understand what it is that they have in Jesus. And we started in the book of Ephesians because Ephesians is such a great summary. It's such a great overview of everything that God wants us to know we have in Jesus. And uh, Paul starts this book, and he's talking about everything we have in Jesus, and he's speaking to them about their identity, and he's, he's talking about what it really looks like when you've encountered the Lord and when you've given your life to Him, what will really take place in your life. And, and like 14 verses in, he just starts praying for the church. He just starts praying for them and saying, God, you know, uh, just help them know the hope to which they've been called. Help them understand the power that is at work within them through the Spirit of God help them know who they are, God. And he then speaks about a few doctrinal things and gets straight back into praying for his church. And I'm going to pray over you in a few moments that God will do the same for you this morning, that he'll reveal to your heart this morning who you are in Jesus, what kind of life you'll be able to live, what kind of life that you'll be able to lead as a result of the presence of God in your life. And if this is something that you haven't Uh, committed to, if this is something you haven't surrendered yourself to or received, then at the end of the service, I'm going to give you, no matter who you are, the opportunity to make a declaration of faith to say that today I choose to believe in everything Jesus has done for me. And in that moment, something supernatural happens. Something supernatural will happen. It'll be not just You were born on one day, but you will be reborn. You will be birthed again into a new life. It's a supernatural thing. Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again, unless they have, have been born of the spirit. And so you might have been born physically, but today you can be born spiritually if you haven't been before. And so Paul is speaking about all of these things around the truth of who we are. And then He gets to a word in chapter 4. There's a a shift in emphasis as we get to chapter 4 in Ephesians where he speaks about a walk. He speaks about everything that we are, everything that we believe, and everything that we have. And then in chapter 4, he shifts emphasis to talk about a walk, the way that we walk, the manner of our walk which really is pointing to the way we live our lives. That word walk is just another way to speak about um, the way you lead your life or live your life and what it looks like when you've been rocked by the gospel, when your life has completely changed and you approach every situation, every circumstance, every every pursuit in life from a different perspective, from a different platform. And so as we go into Ephesians 4, Uh, Paul wants us to know how we get to live out the result of what he has done for us on the cross. And so he starts Ephesians 4 verse 1 with a massive therefore. Therefore. I usually put verses on screen today. I'm just putting one word from this verse. He says, therefore. Because everything that we are called to do flows out of everything that has already been done. Everything that we live out is not done in your own strength. Some of you have tried to serve Jesus in your life, and you have failed miserably. It's supposed to be that way, because you're supposed to come to a point where you realize, I can't be this person I'm supposed to be. That's true. You can't. But in Christ, when we take on the Spirit of God, the life of God, the grace of God, He empowers us as we lean into Jesus and walk with Jesus to do the things we could never have done. Some of you are saying, I'll never get over that addiction. The rest of my life, I'm gonna have this addiction. I'm just always gonna have it. You don't have to have it. You have freedom in Christ. That's the inheritance. Chapters 1 to 3 say that you have got the power of God at work within you, and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life to your mortal bodies also. You don't have to accept the lies of the enemy anymore. So I me mean, like I'm never gonna get over. Uh, this situation. I'm never, I'm never going to f- experience restoration. I, I just cannot live that kind of life. In your own strength, that's true. But by the grace of God, we are all going to be able to become something far greater that, than we could have been in our own strength because it's who we already are in Jesus. We're just playing catch up with who he's caused us to be. And so there's a massive therefore. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner That is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We looked at that last week. The word walk here is inferring the way that you live, the way that you think, the things that you pursue, your orientation to everyday life. So in Christ, we now have the ability to escape futility. In Christ, you have the ability to escape futility. Because what is life if you remove purpose from it? What is life if you remove the presence of Jesus and the call of God and the intention of God for your life? If you remove that, what do you have left? What are you living for? It becomes futile. And so we have that ability to walk in a manner that declares the value of our calling. And so you might face option A versus option B, and both of those are permissible. You could do them and it's fine, but which one values your calling more? which one honors the call of God on your life and the person you know you've called to become, which one honors it more? That should lead us to the right decision. Your life now looks different, but this doesn't come from nowhere. It doesn't come from, from personal motivation. It doesn't come from well set out routines and, and processes. This is a supernatural life. When, when you come to church on a Sunday, we're putting our hand out like this and we're saying, come up here. You know, like in Revelation when the, when the heavens open up and John saw, saw a window in heaven and say, come up here. That's, that's what God is inviting you to today. Let's, let's pick you up out of your ordinary natural life because there's a supernatural life for you to lead. We're not asking you just to apply more principles to your already broken natural life. No, we're pulling you up out of that life to say there's a supernatural life for you to lead. Come up here. Come up here. Take some faith this morning. Take some faith in the grace of God and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I want to share a message with you today entitled, Escaping Your Dead End Life. Escaping Your Dead End Life. Something like, that's a little judgmental. It's fine. It'll just hurt for a little bit. You're a little bit judged, but after that, you'll be fine. Because I know I had to escape mine. I know that we all have to escape our dead end lives. And I'm really going to delve into the deepest problem of humanity today and looking at the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I'm going to read Ephesians 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. And we're going to go to verse 17. Um, As we journey through the book of Ephesians, we've got about two and a half more chapters to go. And I want to wrap up Ephesians 4 this morning by going to verse 17. And uh, I'm just going to read these verses out. I'm gonna break it down a little bit and see what God would say to us. Let's read together. Ephesians 4 verse 17 says, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility, there's that word, of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous, And have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. You learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self. See this is something supernatural. The old life gets Gets put away. That's what baptism is all about is that the old life goes under the water as as a symbolic gesture of the old life being buried with Jesus, which belongs to your former manner of life, your former walk, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed, that's when we come up out of the water to be renewed, to be made new in the spirit of your minds, the way that you think, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so there is a putting off of the old in order to put on the new, and the new looks like Jesus. The new empowers us to live righteously because it is righteousness to us. God makes us righteous, and therefore we get to live righteously. Let me pray for us for a second. Let me pray that God would speak to your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning that all of us have come from different backgrounds, different places, different, different situations that we've come out of, maybe even in this last week. And our minds might just feel completely overwhelmed and cluttered by so many things. But we thank you this morning for the absolute clarity of the Spirit. We thank you, God, that you speak to every heart. Make your love known. Make your grace known. We thank you, God, that it's been made available to us. And if we would put our faith in you today, God, that we would be able to put off the old self and put on the new. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. All right. So um, I'm sure many of you here enjoy watching action movies. Um, and uh, and wives that you endure them when you know that your husband isn't going to tolerate the fifth rom-com for the day, and so it's action movie time. And there is a scenario that plays it out itself out in almost every second action movie, especially the superhero movies. And this is usually when there is an innocent person or a person that is being pursued by some attackers or by, uh, you know, by some evil people that are trying to attack them. And the would-be victim is trying to find a way of escape. And so inevitably what happens is they run into an alleyway. I don't know why anybody thinks that they will escape in an alleyway because every second action movie has proven that there will never be a way through. That when you enter the alleyway, you have entered your final destination, right? You need to stick to the highways. You need to stick to, to, you know, the main streets. But these guys, in an effort to get away in the movies, they always run into an alleyway and they navigate all the little bends and all the little turns trying to find their way out and trying to evade their would-be attackers. And what, uh, what inevitably happens is that they run into a What? a dead end. It's either a fence or a wall, right? If you've ever seen this in the movies, they'll run into a dead end. And then there's one of three things that they do. The first one is they try to scale the wall. They try to climb the fence, but it's always too high and their climbing is always too slow. And so as they're halfway, they might get one leg up, but the attackers arrive, grab them by the leg and pull them straight down. Have you seen that? like a million times, right? So, so they never, you can never escape by climbing over the wall. The second option is they look for an unlocked door. So they run to every door that's present in that dead end, and they try to find a door that would be open so that they can continue evading their attackers. But how many of you know the doors are always locked? And then the third thing that they do is that they turn around and surrender themselves to their fate. They accept their impending doom and they turn around, and uh, it has caught up to them, and it's time to face the music. This is a great analogy for what life without Christ looks like. It looks like having no escape from a dead end. As Pastor Mark said a few weeks ago when he spoke here, he said, Life without Christ is a hopeless end. Life with Christ is endless hope. And so, The life without Jesus really looks like running into a dead end alley and facing the futility of life and the ultimate end, which is eternal death. This is what it looks like, eternal death without Jesus. And in all of those situations and in all of those movies, there's only ever one thing that can take place in order for that person that has run into that dead end to be saved. And that is for intervention to come. That is for somebody that is greater than them and greater than their attackers to intervene in that moment. Ultimately, this is the message of the gospel, that all of us were facing a dead end life. All of us had come to the end of ourselves, the end of our ability. As, as hard as we have tried when we were young and, and optimistic that we would overcome the brokenness in life, that we would be able to overcome our own sin and that there's certain things that we don't want to do that we'll just decide. We don't want to stop doing them and then we'll be fine. And then we realize, no, it's a dead end. I cannot be greater than the sin in my life in my own strength. And so what many have done is that they've turned around and have accepted their fate. In fact, they've begun to celebrate their death. Oh, this is just who I am. This is just how I want to lead life. Really? Really. How much time do we spend deceiving ourselves about what we really want? Because there's no other option. If we don't celebrate, we'll cry. Because we know the position we're in. But the message of the gospel says that God loved us so much that even when sin and death chased us into the dead end, that he who is greater than both sin and death and defeated them both stepped in in a moment of time to liberate all of us from that end, to liberate us all from death, to liberate us all without prejudice. It doesn't matter who you are today. Not only does Jesus unlock one of those doors, he is the door. He is the door. He is the one who gives us the way out. In John 14, he tells us, verse 6, I'm skipping a little bit ahead on my my verses there, but in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, there's no halfway position here. Jesus didn't give us, there's no other escape. There's no secondary route. He says, how many people get to the Father except through me? No one. There's only one way we can be delivered. There's only one way we get to live a life that, that, that looks like the person of Jesus that, in, that, that values and honors the call of God that we heard in our mother's womb. There's only one way we get to fulfill that kind of life and it's when we turn to Jesus and receive his salvation. He is the one who intervened. He is the one who stepped in and made it possible for us to live a new kind of life. That is the story of the gospel. That dead end life is a life that we were all subjected to beforehand and a a life that Paul vividly describes as no longer fitting for you it's not right for you anymore it's not proper for you anymore to live when you're a believer to live in the way that you used to be it doesn't fit anymore it's like trying to get into your into your clothes that you that you used to wear in high school some of the guys out here still have some high school t-shirts around you might have even called it a, a vision shirt you're hoping one day I'll fit into that again It's ill fitting. It doesn't look good. The old is past. The new has come. And there's certain things we need to put off in order to take up the new. And so, watch how Paul breaks this down. This is a beautiful thing. And I'm going to ask Brent to bring up my favorite prop, which is my writing board, my drawing board. I've written the scripture out this morning. I also know that I've sometimes written. Uh, messages to people on birthday cards, and and they have thanked me for the card, but also said they didn't know what it was saying. Um, so, and I know this is fairly small as a long verse, but I thought I would just uh, show that to all of you today. Can you can you all kind of see that? It's okay, I'll tell you what it says. But um, in Ephesians four verse seventeen, Paul starts by saying he says, first of all, now this I say and testify in the Lord, I say and testify in the lord now this i say and testify and i wondered why whenever i read something like that why paul says i say and testify surely the sentence makes sense if he simply says now this i say that you must no longer walk as gentiles do but he adds testify because what he's actually saying is that he is he is speaking as one who is under oath If he was in a court of law, he is speaking as a witness that has key, crucial evidence that he wants to express. And he is doing it in the Lord with the authority that God has given him. He is testifying that what he is about to say to you is absolutely true. In the same way that Jesus would often say, truly, truly, I say to you. Well, verily, verily, I say to you. He say, What I'm about to tell you right now is no joke. This is not a suggestion. This is not just. This is not just a, a human philosophy. This is not just some good advice. No, what I'm about to tell you right now is the absolute God-honest truth. I say and I testify, in the Lord, in the sight of God, I tell you today that this is what's right for your life. There's a weight that this truth brings. This is true. He then says that you must no longer walk, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. No longer walk, that's that word again. Walk worthy of your calling, no longer live your life out in a way that the Gentiles do. And when he's speaking about Gentiles, he's speaking to Gentiles. He's actually writing to the churches in the Gentile areas of Ephesus at this point, And he's speaking to Gentiles. But he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Because he's speaking about, he's using the word Gentiles as, a, as a, an analogy uh, or a symbol for unbelievers. You are in the flesh right now, all of you. You're physically here, but you don't live according to the flesh. So you're physically here, but don't just live a physical life. Don't walk as those who simply have their belly as their God. The Bible says that. To their own destruction, they love their own lives so much. You love your life so much, you're going to lose it. Don't let your belly be your God. Don't let your your physical desires, which which is what is inescapable without Jesus, don't let those physical desires be the things that determine your walk. No, you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility. No longer in the flesh, but redeemed by Christ. In Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 2, he speaks and highlights what that walk looks like and why it is as futile as it is. And in verse 1, and we've covered this before, but it's kind of this whole, uh, you know, it's one long explanation that Paul gives that we've broken up across several Sundays. And so I refer back to this as a foundation. But in Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, and you were dead. In your trespasses and sins. In which you what? Once walked. So you didn't, you're not dead because you sinned. You sinned because you're dead. You walked in it because that's what you were. And so there was no escaping from what you were. And so you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following what? When you're dead, you cannot resist. Two things you cannot resist. He says the first one is the course of this world. When this world preaches a doctrine to you, you just buy it. You know, it's like buy with one click. You just bought it. Because that's just, you're dead. You can't resist. Sin owns you. You're a slave. You just obey. So when the culture of this world says do this, you say, Okay, I buy that, I take it, I'll do it. You were led by the culture of this world or the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Satan. So not only is the culture of this world leading your life, but you're actually being led by Satan himself to a point of what? Destruction. For the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't have a good end for you, but you were dead dead end. No way to resist. That spirit, that spirit of Satan is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who would reject the gift of God. So this is powerful. This is a dead end alley following the course of the world, the prince of the air, the spirit at work in those of disobedience. It's where we were all at. But that's not where the gospel stops That's just the gospel declaring the problem. It's just saying where we all began. But there is a way of escape. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, just two verses later, it says, but God, Pastor Will preached a powerful message on what a but God looks like. When God says, yes, this is your current situation. Yes, this is the life you've been leading. But I have another plan. But God Being rich in mercy. Oh man, he's not wanting to punish you for your sins. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that through me the world may be saved. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. It's based on his love. He's rescuing you. He has rescued you because of how much he loves you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Even though we were dead, He made us alive. By grace, you have been saved. How much can a dead man do to make himself alive? He can do absolutely nothing. And so we have no way of escape from the death that we've all run into. But in Christ, he has made us alive. He has been the one who has intervened so that we no longer live as rats, as people trapped by, like rats. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. So not only does Jesus save you, but he gives you a new walk, a new life, a new pursuit, a new way of living He's unlocked those doors and made a way of escape for you. And it's a door that opens into a brand new life, which is no longer futile. I want to focus on this word for a, just for a minute. What does futility mean? What does it mean in the biblical context? When the, when the Bible says that we now lead lives that are no longer futile, what does that mean? And in order to understand these words, it's always helpful to see how these words were used in other parts of Scripture. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then any, everything we're doing here basically means nothing. If Jesus wasn't raised, our faith is futile. So if Christ isn't alive then we haven't been rescued from sin. Then we're still in our sin, still dead in our sin. In other words, what the word futility means, and in this verse in 1 Corinthians 15, it's referring to the futility of our faith, it's when it doesn't accomplish what it was designed to accomplish. If the design and the purpose of faith is to deliver you from sin, then the futility of your mind means that your mind no longer does what it was intended to do. That it has failed. That it has fallen short. That it's empty. That it isn't able to carry the container of your mind is no longer able to carry the glorious riches it was intended to carry. The beautiful things it was meant to know and to live from and to think. And so you have an end result which is futility. And so what Paul is saying is that the minds of unbelievers, the minds of unbelievers are incapable of fulfilling the purpose of their design to know God. All they do is wander in the dark. All they do is, is run around in back alleys trying to find a way out, trying to find some happiness, trying to discover meaning, trying to feel, figure out how to, how, to, how to feel good in life. Just grasping at straws, running into walls, and encountering dead end after dead end. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19. Paul says, for the wisdom, again, wisdom is a way of approaching life. It's an orientation towards life. It's a thinking about life. For the wisdom of this world is folly, is foolishness with God. So that the way this world thinks about How to live life. God looks at him and goes, that's a foolishness. They haven't even begun to understand life. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Everybody goes, I know, I've got to figure it out. I'm going to live life this way. With that kind of human pride. I I know how to live life. I'm going to walk here. And then you walk into a dead end. Ah, Maybe I didn't have it all figured out. To the point where we've just concluded. We don't know how to, nobody knows how to figure things out. So let's just all just do what we think. It catches you out. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, the wise in this world, that they are what? Futile. They accomplish nothing. They achieve nothing. It's foolishness to God. Wisdom doesn't do what it was supposed to do. So what does true wisdom look like? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So it's like in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom. What is he saying? He's saying that by people trying to figure out how to know God, they couldn't know God. They couldn't do it in their own strength. But it pleased God through the folly, through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, it pleased God that you would come to the end of yourself in order to realize that you've hit a dead end and to be honest and authentic in turning around and saying, I cannot figure life out by myself so that God may save you. Why did that please God? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to know his love for you. Because he's begging that you would let him intervene. He's standing ready to intervene on your behalf. He's already done the work. He's already disarmed the powers and the principalities and the prince of this air, of the air. He's already done all of that in order that you may be set free. And all he wants you to do is run into one more dead end so that you'll stop trying to save yourself, fall to your knees, lift up your hands and say, God, I need help. And he is ready and able to save all those that call on him. It's all it takes. It pleased God that you would know that your human wisdom is not going to help you get out. But by the foolishness of what I'm preaching today, that Jesus is the one, the only one who can save us. By that foolishness, if you believe in it this morning, that you, no matter who you are, will be saved. The world did not know God through wisdom. They weren't able to figure this out with human wisdom. It was foolishness to God so that we might all be saved. And then true wisdom begins. 1 Corinthians 1 22 to 23, Paul goes on and he says, For Jews demand signs. They want to see signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. They're trying to figure it out in their own strength. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. We preach Jesus. No more, no less. That's our message. And then what happens is people are saved. People are saved. And they come to know God and they are rescued from futility. They're rescued from futility to recover the original purpose and design that God had for them. The original purpose and design that he has for you. Look at Romans 8, verse 6 to 9. And I'm almost done this morning. The band can start playing behind me. But Romans 8, 6 to 9 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. When you set your minds on Jesus and your hearts on God, you will experience true life and true peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is not neutral towards God, but hostile. There are people that will hate me for what I say, that will want to stone me for the words that I preach. That You might be fighting with my words in your heart right now. You might be throwing punches left, right, and center at every word that comes out of my mouth because the flesh is hostile towards God. It wants to save itself. It wants to deny the reality that it's living in. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. We're able to please God today, not because we're good enough, but because we've been saved by Jesus. And we've been reborn in the spirit. And so from that place, we're able to live a life that pleases God. That honors our calling. The flesh is not neutral to the truth of God. It slams the door of Christ shut the way a teenager slams the door after being sent to their rooms. And God declares it futile. Can't work. You won't find happiness. You won't. you will constantly run through alleyways trying to escape the madness. I was reading some of G.K. Chesterton's stuff. He was just a genius. Just I mean, I read him and I feel dumber as I read because I'm just like, oh Lord. He is just so good in in, in what he wrote. But this is what he writes about people who proclaim, I believe in myself. Have you heard that? The world's doctrine? There's no God for you to believe in. Just believe in yourself. You'll be fine. G.K. Chesterton speaks about that. He says, thoroughly worldly people never understand even the world. They rely altogether on a few cynical maxims which are not true. They say, Man will get on by believing in himself. Shall I tell you where the men are who believe most in themselves? For I can tell you, I know of men who believe in themselves more colossally than Napoleon or Caesar. I know where f- flames the fixed star of certainty and success. I can guide you to, thr- to the thrones of the supermen the men who really believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. Those seekers after the Superman who are always looking for him in the mirror, those writers who talk about impressing their personalities instead of creating life for the world, all these people have only really an inch between them and the awful emptiness. Then, when this kindly world all around the man has been blackened out like a lie, when friends fade into ghosts, And the foundations of the world fail. Then when the man believing in nothing and in no man is alone in his own nightmare, then the great individualistic motto shall be written over him in avenging irony. The stars will only be dots in the blackness of his own brain. His mother's face will only be a sketch from his own insane pencil on the walls of his cell. But over his cell shall be written with dreadful truth He believes in himself. He believes in, oh, I just believe in myself. You're going to find yourself in your own nightmare. But God, rich in mercy, saved us from that end. It speaks about what happens as a result. It says they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up. They turned around and surrendered to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. If you take this scripture and you look at how Paul breaks it down, this is the logical following of what he is saying. Let's just show that scripture that shows those verses broken down. It should be a a slide that shows the separate parts. There we go. It says they practice, they walk with all uncleanness and covetousness. So that's what comes out. That's the result. Why? Because they've given themselves up to sensuality. Why have they given themselves up to sensuality? Well, it's owing to the futility of their minds. So they're doing things that are wrong purely because they're thinking wrong. Why are they thinking wrong? Because they've been darkened in their understanding. Why has their understanding been darkened? Well, because they are alienated from the life of God. They've cut themselves off from that life. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Why are they so ignorant? Because of the hardness of their heart. And together with that, they have become callous. It starts with a hardened heart. And hardened heart leads to a darkened mind. And a darkened mind leads to futile pursuits. And futile pursuits leads to all kinds of impurity and sensuality in life. And so the good news is this morning, you don't have to fix all of those things. You just have to allow God to fix one thing, your heart. As he says to Ezekiel, or through Ezekiel, he says, I will take your heart of stone from you and I will give you a heart of flesh that you may know me. Church, there's a miracle that's gonna happen in this place this morning. God is gonna remove that stone from your chest and he is gonna give you a heart that beats, a heart that is alive, a heart that pumps the blood of Jesus, a heart that knows God and hears his voice. It starts with the heart, the hardness of heart produces a futile walk but God has made us alive that you may be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness and so we all have the opportunity to no longer lead futile lives but to live lives that fulfill the original plan and purpose of God for us this is so hopeful You can try and jump over the wall but you will fall short. You can try alternative doors but I guarantee you this morning they will all be locked. You can turn around and give yourself up and live as a slave to your sensual desires or you can receive this morning the grace of God for your life, allow Him to do surgery on your spirit. Remove that heart of stone and give you a brand new heart so that you can walk and live with a new mind and a renewed spirit in peace and life as you escape your dead end life. That's what Jesus has for you this morning. will not you stand with me for a moment? We're going to just pray. We're going to trust God.